Hello and welcome. This is Ron Cohen with our weekly update. I'm a tax partner with the firm of Greenstein Rogoff Olson and Company here in beautiful downtown Fremont, California. We're about 12 miles north of San Jose and 35 miles or so south of San Francisco. Today's episode here, we're going to cover the Build Back Better bills being re- revisited. And Joe Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin, appears to have blocked it again, at least for now. Uh, the country of Hungary wants to be left alone. We'll talk a little bit about international taxes. Uh, more proposed low-income housing credits. I have a few comments about that or in proposed bills. And uh, the 3.8% expansion of the proposed Medicare tax or net investment income tax uh, got roundly criticized by the real estate industry. But again, it may not matter if uh, the bill's dead because of Joe Manchin's recent comments. I want to give a hat tip to the firm of Deloitte. We'll put in the show notes uh, the uh, link to Deloitte's update. And of course, they have a whole staff of people that work on this sort of thing full time. And as uh, we also look at the Wall Street Journal and other reporting agencies, but uh, we... Uh, we just want to make sure it's clear that we give credit where it's due in providing this information. Uh, a couple of caveats first. Uh, take no reliance on anything you hear in this podcast before you do a transaction uh, or you file a tax return. You need to uh, speak to a tax professional, give them all the facts, let them look at all the documents, come to a professional opinion. And then you can rely on it. But we're just jawboning here, going through some some stories, uh, trying to be a little entertain, entertaining. And it's no official opinion of me or my firm. Uh, plagiarism's okay in the tax world. We're not writing any novels. Don't think any of this is an individual thought uh, in the tax world. Everybody's copying the law and the regulations and what other planners have said and so forth. So um, we're not trying to be original. We try to stay away from politics. Although in writing tax law, a lot of political issues come up because it is law passed by Congress. So mention it in the context of tax proposals. However, uh, try to stay away from the extreme level of national politics we have in this country today. All right, our firm, uh, we do about 1,400 tax turns of various sorts, planning, and we specialize in family office services for um, uh, those kinds of uh, wealthy individuals and family groups that need those kinds of services. Uh, I want to, as a premise state, I'm no cheerleader for the tax system. I've been doing this about 41 years. I think the tax system as currently composed in the United States is an invasion of our privacy. It's tedious. It's onerous. Asks way too many questions, uh, parses out uh, uh, things, uh, way too much detail for little benefit to the treasury, and uh, we all should be able to do our tax returns sooner, uh, easier. I want to make a comment about that in a moment. Uh, the last caveat here, we always try to get an A-plus on tax returns, even though, uh, again, we're no cheerleader for the tax system. We got to do it right, and not A-minuses or Bs or Cs. Always an A-plus, follow the rules, follow the, file the best returns you can. So our website's www dot groco g-r-o-c-o dot com my phone number is 510-797-8661 i'm at extension 237 but there's plenty of partners and other people here at the firm that can help you out call anytime
All right, just finishing up that point about um, uh, no cheerleader for the tax system. Uh, I don't think I've mentioned in this podcast for a while, if you go to Europe and you talk to them about April 15th or whatever filing date they have and how everybody, you know, gets all their records together and either does it themselves on TurboTax or goes to their tax professional, gets their return filed, got to get it in by the due date, got to make sure all the money's in it, in there at the right time. Most of Europe and even some Asian countries will look at you like you're crazy because um, uh, uh, in those countries, they're all wired up. They get your W-2s and your 1099s and all kinds of other pension reporting, and they send you a letter about a month before the due date that says, here's what we think your tax is. Uh, we've gotten all these reports. They list out the reports. They list out the amounts of income. We've done our tax calculation, and here's the amount of tax if you... Uh, and it shows either a balance due, which hopefully isn't too bad, or a refund, usually the case. And if you agree with this, just sign this letter, send it back in the case of uh, England. It's called the Inland Revenue. Send it back to the Inland Revenue. We'll record it, and uh, you'll get your refund, usually direct deposit, short period after. But none of this run to H&R Block or whoever and, um, you know, fill out the returns yourself. It's uh, uh, and that covers about 85% of the people. So that's why I say there's there's a number of things that could be done to make this much less onerous uh, to the overall population. And then our, our clients usually are made up of people in the top 5 or 7% of the population. They have all kinds of compl complications. They own businesses. They have uh, 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 complex investments. Uh, and, and so they, they have to do the return. And as I, as I should have mentioned in, in like the UK, if you disagree with what they came up with for, as the tax number, they say, Hey, no problem. Go to a, what they call a chartered accountant out there in, in, in England or some other type of tax preparer, fill out the form, send it in and no harm, no foul. As long as it's prepared correctly, that will be your return. You don't have to sign the letter. Well, like I say, uh, about 85% of people would have a 10-minute tax season if we adopted those um, that process, and I think we should. Okay, moving on here. So uh, on July 15th, the uh, Build Back Better bill tried to come back again in a slimmed-down form. Uh, the, the Senate is trying to deal with, uh, deal with the revised version, but then uh, Senator Manchin from West Virginia rejected uh, very uh, important parts of the bill with regard to a corporate tax hike and climate change proposals. And so once again, it appears to be dead for the time being, but uh, from the people I listen to and so forth, though, they will probably take another try at uh, getting some version of Build Back Better through. Uh, so let's talk about what happened in the last week. Uh, efforts by uh, Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer from New York and Democrats Joe Manchin from West Virginia to reach a consensus on an iteration of the Build Back Better legislation that includes robust climate change provisions, Medicare prescription drug pricing reforms, and substantial tax increases on corporations and wealthy individuals appears to fall have fallen apart after Manchin told Senate Democrat leaders that he could not support uh, the bill as it was uh, currently written, uh, other than bits about health care and uh, he wouldn't accept the final package that includes climate change provisions or tax hikes. Manchin's announcement was reported to the Washington Post. According to the Post and other subsequent press reports, Manchin told Democratic leaders that he would only back a final product 
that includes certain Medicare prescription drug reforms and an extension of the Enhanced Affordable Care Act, Enhanced Affordable Care Act premium assistant credits that are scheduled to expire at the end of next year. Those of you using the uh, Affordable Care Act as your health insurance, uh, bond insurance through the marketplace, uh, there are a whole slew. I could spend an hour going through that about how people get uh, these credits to offset their health insurance costs and to those people involved. It's extremely important. Some of those are set to expire and Senator Manchin is rightly concerned about that. Okay, Manchin did not comment publicly on his decision, but a spokesman told reporters on July 14th that the senator, quote, believes it's time for leaders to put political agendas aside, reevaluate and adjust to their the economic realities the country faces to avoid steps that add fuel to the inflation fire, close quote. And certainly he was all over that uh, last November on the original Build Back Better bill uh, commenting that he thought the government was spending way too much money and it would trigger inflation. So one uh, with any objectivity cannot look back and say, well, he, sh- he was right. Remember, the House approved the roughly $1.75 trillion Build Back Better package last November, but the measure stalled in the Senate after Manchin announced shortly before Christmas that he would not support the bill in its current form. At the time, he expressed reservations about the inflationary impact of the legislation and warned against the use of what he described as budget gimmicks, which there were a few. Since then, Senate Democrats have worked to craft a narrower compromise package focused on Manchin's stated priorities of clean energy and climate change provisions, Medicare drug pricing, uh, a deficit reduction, and a rollback of certain tax breaks enacted in the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act that uh, President Trump pushed through. That would move through the chamber under fast-track reconciliation rules that would circumvent a near-certain GOP filibuster and allow for passage by a simple majority vote. I can't get into all the technicalities of it, but I, I, I just will say I really don't like that if you meet certain procedural rules, you can pass a tax bill by 50 by a mere majority, you know, 50 plus one in the Senate uh, under these reconciliation rules, basically making the argument that this is similar to an appropriations bill. It's not a tax change. Normally tax change need six, uh, 60 or two thirds, two thirds vote, or it might be 60 votes, but, but it's much higher. And uh, so um, those trying to push the bill back, better bill in any form are trying to get it through when they only have to get 51 votes in the Senate rather than uh, uh, the full um, uh, two-thirds majority. Given that no Senate Republicans are expected to support the measure, the pressure has been on Schumer to keep the 50 Senate Democrats united and rely on their votes, plus the tie-breaking vote of Vice President Kamala Harris to get the bill across the finish line. Manchin's announcement that he will withhold support for climate change and tax increase provisions deprive Schumer of a working majority and forces Democrat leaders to consider possible next steps, which could mean advancing a health care focused package or letting the reconciliation instructions go unused. Uh, in other words, then they have to go come back and get a two thirds vote, which they know they can't do. Uh, I'm not taking a political position. That's just the reality of how the mechanism works. 
Issues around clean air energy incentives remain unresolved, as did discussions on potential revenue-raising provisions, such as the proposed surtax on certain high-income high individuals and a new 15% minimum tax on corporations uh, for their financial income uh, versus their current taxable income. Uh, again, another thing we could spend a half an hour on, but that's a very bad proposal, in my view, uh, for those of you accountants and out there who understand the difference between book accounting or gap accounting and tax accounting to then come back and say, well, there are differences. Your taxable income can be lower than your accounting income, which has been the rule for a hundred years and say, well, and by the way, if there is a difference, we're going to tax you 15% on that difference. It's a very illogical, uh, unnecessary, uh, improperly written provision. However, Manchin continued to tell reporters without going into specifics that negotiations were proceeding. Okay, so um, uh, that is what I'll leave you with on the revised Build Back Better bill. Other than to say, uh, Senator John Tester of Montana, who is uh, pretty far to the left, uh, came out and said that uh, that his uh, reticence towards a tax hike in the current economic and political environments, quote, I don't think raising taxes is a winner anywhere, okay? Tester said, there's some positive things you can talk about, but the bottom line is that no, taxes never are a winner. We need to be very careful. There is a view with the Biden administration that somehow if they raise taxes, it will allow government to spend more money on the right types of things that will ultimately lower inflation. And I'll leave to you to decide if you think there's any logic to that analysis at all. Okay. So, uh, build back better seems to be dead because again, uh, um, Senator Manchin, we haven't heard from Senator Cinema of Arizona. I have read that of course her view is if it's going to die on its own with, uh, Joe Manson's comments, she, she won't weigh in because why weigh in? Uh, you can't win. What <laughs> someone's not going to dislike your decision one way or the other. And if the bill's already uh, going to get killed by the statements of uh, Senator Manchin. If uh, Senator Schumer is unable to convince him, then uh, she'll just stay quiet on it. Um, so that is where that, uh, that's a big piece. I, I want to come back and just point out that this, the, 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 again, the Build Back Better bill was $1.7 trillion, $1.75 trillion. Uh, the administration said, well, it really wouldn't cost anything because of the way that uh, the money would be spent and the growth in the economy it would trigger. There was great controversy about that. Uh, it got stalled last November. It seems like it's stalled again now. It had tremendous amount of estate planning issues that uh, seemed to have gone away permanently. It had issues about the step up and basis that it seems, seems to have gone away uh, permanently. And uh, we'll just leave it at that and I'll be... Uh, watching to see what happens. We'll let you know. Um, uh, of course, as, as we get closer to elections in Washington, everything seems to shut down because then the political view seems to be, well, let the people decide who they want to represent them, And then they'll take another look at tax bills, uh, after the election, which is, uh, you know, pretty straightforward, obvious, uh, approach. So, so tax bills always tend to stall and get put aside as, as, as you get closer to elections. Okay, turning to the international side of it, 
um, uh, Hungary, one of my favorite countries, uh, is facing a backlash after pulling its support for a global minimum tax. Now, now, uh, let me give you a, a background on that. The, um, the, uh, um, uh, there's a view by the U S state department and department of treasury, along with their counterparts in the European union, that it's not right for one country to have a significantly low tax rate compared to all the other modern Western economies, because that lower tax rate, uh, rate would tend to pull businesses to that other country, uh, to the detriment of the remaining people in, uh, in the group. Uh, you will remember, you know, would they have meetings at the G20 and the G10 and the G whatever? Uh, that's where they think about these things, where they line things up on spreadsheets and try to decide what's, what's good for many countries in the world. So, um, as a part, as some background for decades, policymakers thought it was great and fair that Ireland have a 12% corporate tax rate, 12 and a half percent, which was well below most of the other countries in Europe that had a 20% or 30% or even some had 40% rates. The policymakers thought, well, Ireland needed some help. And indeed, there is a significant Silicon Valley type business environment in Ireland employing tens of thousands of people, specifically because Ireland had that uh, 12.5% tax rate. Ireland's, uh, you know, the weather's not the greatest. It's not, um, uh, there's no geographical reason for high-tech companies to assemble there, but the tax rate pulled them in. Um, uh, and that's the way it was for a long time. Well, in the last several years, there's been a view of, well, no more of that. We want to keep the tax rates kind of on even keel between, um, many countries, uh, uh for various, uh, both fiscal and social reasons. Uh, Hungary is facing threatening backlash from the U S and from its European neighbors, but Republicans in Congress have praised the country's holdout against the OECD's agreement and have blasted the Biden administration for what they characterize as a transparent attempt to bully Hungary into a hasty action. Right. So Hungary, well, it's Hungary, right? I mean, the, the nice people, some nice cities, whatever it's right next to the Ukraine. Uh, it's not Palo Alto, California, right? Uh, there's not a lot of natural reasons, uh, for companies to be there. So, uh, 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 Excuse me. So uh, Hungary has decided to uh, keep its tax rate low. And in fact, uh, we have some clients in the Czech Republic and uh, in that area of the country that they, they are generally very low on corporate income taxes uh, rates. But um, they're trying to get the rates raised up so that nobody has an unfair advantage. After scuttling the EU's most recent attempt to implement a global minimum tax developed through the OECD, Hungary is facing a threatened backlash from the United States and from its European neighbors. Uh, in the wake of Hungary's, uh, sorry, give me one second, this a little choppy here. In the wake of Hungary's unexpected veto on June 17th of the EU's vote on a draft directive to implement the 15% minimum tax on companies with a global revenue of more than 750 million euros, Pillar two of the global tax agreement reached by 140 nations last October, the U S treasury department announced its intentions to terminate the tax treaty with Hungary that has been in place for decades. 
a Treasury spokesman said that the U.S. has grown increasingly unhappy with the treaty as Hungary's 9% corporate rate makes the agreement's benefits lopsided. Okay, so given that we're talking about little Hungary over there, I'll just say that, okay, let's switch it around. What if Hungary turned around and said, okay, the U.S., your tax rate has to be higher so that we can compete better to sell things into your country? Of course, we would go, well, that's ridiculous. We're not going to listen to you at all. I mean, countries have to figure out a way to feed their own people and stimulate business with the limited resources a lot of small countries have. And I just think it's some kind of uh, invasion of sovereignty for uh, anybody or any group uh, to be telling a country what rate they should tax their businesses at. Uh, but that's what the EU and the United States is trying to do to little Hungary, who's fighting back. Okay. The, the biggest issue I, I would want to pontificate here is, is a lack of a lack of certainty or creating uncertainty. When you have a corporate tax rate, whether it be high or low or whatever, I think even the United States, our, our biggest failing is we need to keep it this, we need to keep it even, not just for years, but for decades, right? Because big companies make multi-billion dollar investments. They make those investments based on assumptions about what tax rates will be, what profits they can earn off those investments based on the cost of doing business in those areas. And when um, people make those bets with their investments, both uh, the companies themselves building factories, individuals making buying stocks, and then the country comes in and says, well, you know, we're going to raise our tax rate or, or we want to lower our tax rate or, uh, or some outside group like the EU or the U.S. Treasury is telling some other country to raise its tax rate. That creates uncertainty because whether it goes through or not, uh, people who might make investments and build new factories and employ thousands and thousands of people aren't sure what the deal is. And uh, even Adam Smith, back in the 1700s, one of the first economists made the point that when it comes to tax rates, the most important thing that you do is make uh, the taxes predictable by keeping the rates stable. So I'll leave Little Hungary alone at, based on that and move on. Okay, so uh, here in the U.S., We've had a lot, long history of low-income housing credits. If you buy, if you go and build apartment buildings or housing in certain designated low-income areas, you can apply. You can apply for and will get certain uh, tax credits where the builders can use those credits to offset the income tax they would otherwise owe on uh, building those properties. And like a lot of government uh, uh, programs, the state of California, in our case here in California, goes and piggybacks on those rules, say, well, if federal government's going to give you a low-income tax credit, we're going to give you a California low-income tax credit. And then uh, with no disparaging remarks here, a lot of those uh, units that are built end up being Section 8 housing. So now you have a, a triple play. You have a federal credit helping to build the property. You have a state credit helping to build the property. And then the people living in the property are getting a subsidy for their rent. And uh, we can argue all day whether that's good or bad. I'm just trying to review the, uh, the facts of the matter. Um, uh, and whether the question I would have is whether uh, if you go back and look over 30 years, and I went and tried to look at the, at the rules and what was being said when they're proposing this bill, can you look back 30 years and say, you know, uh, uh, the, the projects that were funded this way have done well. People are living there. The houses are appreciating. 
it's really created good economic situation, both for both the builders and the homeowners. Uh, and, and that's good for all of us. And it was worth taking taxpayer money. And of course the federal government has no money. So any, all money is either taxes that came in or went out. And usually it's more to the point these days, it's extra borrowed money that were borrowed in the bond market. And before you give the credits, to various groups, uh, to build low income housing, can we prove that that approach to, uh, helping in building those properties by having federal state and personal section eight subsidies actually, uh, help make, uh, both for the user of the property and for the community better. If so, okay. Uh, I, I think, um, certainly looking around the Bay area, there's arguments that no, no, it failed. Um, but, um, you can make the decision on that. My job here is just to let you know that they're working on giving more 9% credits for low income housing, uh, projects. Again, there's some more California credits that pop in on top of that. And then the residents themselves, in many cases, qualify for Section 8 um, rental assistance. And actually, it's an, another layer. Four layers is that a lot of these properties are bought with FHA or Veterans Bill financing. So if they're buying like a condo, uh, it was built with federal credits, it was built with state credits, it, it might be, if it's rented, it's renting uh, with Section 8 subsidies or it's being sold as a condo of some sort, uh, there's a, uh, uh, the interest rate is bought down on those loans through various federal uh, projects. And I believe there's some state subsidies for mortgages too in some cases. Not saying it's good or bad, just noting they, they want to do more of it. Okay, as part of the, of the revised Build Back Better bill, uh, we can now say that it appears uh, this provision, which has had a number of my clients very concerned is for the meantime, for the current period, uh, dead, which was a revision to the net investment income tax. We talked about last week about the John Edwards, Ed, John Edwards rule. I won't go through all that again, but the whole point was with S corps, uh, uh, specifically on the John Edwards rule and the, uh, pass through entity partnerships and so forth. Uh, in certain cases, um, the individuals, uh, uh were able to avoid uh, certain kinds of taxes that help fund the Medicare fund, which is why they want to increase it because the Medicare fund is looking like in five or 10 years, it may not be able to pay all of its current obligations. So they're saying, um, uh, in those cases where you wouldn't otherwise under current rules have to pay the 3.8% net investment income tax on your income, because as you may know, if it was active, in other words, it's a job that you get up in the morning and you go and you work on and you run the business as opposed to a passive business where all you did was put money in and you just watch it grow. Uh, if it's an active business, you didn't pay the 3.8% uh, net investment income tax, which came in after 2011 when the Affordable Care Act for health insurance came in. If it was passive, you did pay it 3.8%. Well, now they're saying with respect to the investor, the owner, um, I'll just read it here. The house bill, the house passed the build back better legislation would have expanded this tax to include in addition to all investment income, all traded business income for individuals with more than $500,000 modified adjusted gross income. That's for a joint filer, 250,000, uh, for married filing separately and 400,000 for, uh, individual taxpayers. So. 
that's a lot of tax. 3.8% didn't have to pay in the past. Nothing changed about your business. They just defined the taxable base with respect to the net investment income tax called the net investment income tax to be transmuted into a tax on active trader business income, which if for tax policy geeks, that's usually not how, uh, that's not good. That's not weak. We, we expect trader business income to be generally left alone. Well, the real estate industry has really yelled, uh, started to yell about this, uh, uh, prior to again, Senator Manchin shutting it down on July 14th for the time being. Uh, House writer Adrian Smith of Nebraska, Republican, asked the witness Edward J. Pinto of the American Enterprise Institute Housing Center about the possible effects of such a proposal on new home prices. Pinto replied that any provision that increases marginal tax rates would be counterproductive, especially for small businesses. This particular provision, he said, would hit home builders and contractors and would decimate, that's his word, not mine, the housing industry making homes and uh, apartment buildings more expensive. In a similar exchange with Representative George Murphy, Republican, North Carolina, Pinto contended that the provision would lead to increases in construction costs that would in turn drive up rental prices, right? So uh, people who own things and rent them out, they'll flow that cost through, as well as the purchase of new homes. Pinto characterized the proposal as, quote, going in the wrong direction, close quote. All right. So uh, again, a number of my clients were concerned about this tax because it would have applied to them. And uh, so far we're safe because it got shut down on July 14th. We'll see. This provision has a continuing history. It's clearly in the playbook of the, the, again, not to get too political, but it's in the playbook of the Democratic Party for uh, whenever the, the next tax proposal comes along, they'll pull it out and try it again. And, and, and there's some good reason to it in that Medicare is running out of money. And uh, one can argue that, well, this might be a place where to, they could collect additional funds. But from a tax policy standpoint, it is not nice to put higher taxes than the marginal rates we already have to pay on active trader business income. That's not the way it's been for at least 60 years. And I'm sad to see this provision continue to resurface tax bill after tax bill proposal. Okay, so today is uh, July 18th, 2022. I just say that because all these changes and interpretations change all the time. So make sure if you're relying on anything that you, you go back and uh, check if it's still applicable. We're working on uh, various returns for partnerships that are, are due September 15th and uh, the the big uh, uh, line share of individual returns for complex taxpayers who put them on extension till October 15th. We're trying to chip away at those, get those out the door and avoid a last minute panic in October. And then um, I did want to mention one more thing. Sorry, we're running a little long here, but uh, there was a tax law change for corporations back in um, 2018, but it was deferred. And it was deferred until the year 2022, in which case uh, research and development costs, which can be really, really substantial uh, for years and years and years, your research and development costs for tax purposes could be written off immediately, taken as a deduction. There were some 
differences for alternative minimum tax purposes, especially with California. Again, way too complex to get into in, into in this uh, arena. But uh, you would generally write them off for tax purposes. The uh, the uh, tax job the tax cut and jobs act 2017 said starting in 2022 you have to capitalize, meaning treat those R and D expenses as an asset, which really means you cannot deduct them. And then you have to amortize them over, I believe it's uh, eight years. Uh, double check me on that. But uh, we're telling all of our corporate clients, uh, be careful, all that R&D expense you just routinely wrote off without a second thought. Uh, the law has changed unless it gets repealed, with it doesn't look like it will. It's a revenue raiser for the government, right? The government likes things to be capitalized and deducted over time because that accelerates tax payments. And um, again, so if you are a corporation, uh, with significant R and D costs, keep in mind the law has significantly changed starting this year, 2022. Okay. Well, again, this is Ron Cohen, tax partner here at Greenstein Rogoff Olson and company. Our phone number is 510-797-8661. I'm an extension 237. Our website's www.groco.com. We're always happy to take uh, initial phone calls and I generally will talk to anybody for, for a little bit for free to see if uh, our services make sense to you. Uh, uh, so uh, feel free to call anytime and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.